Hello, my name is Philippe Girin, a professor in the history department at McNeese State University. And I'm Natalie Strasener. I'm from the history department at McNeese. Welcome to your Grandma Rocks, where we explore the lives of famous women in history. Welcome and bienvenue à nos amis francophones. Vous écoutez la radio de l'Université McNeese. On the program today, music and history as we retrace the life of a remarkable woman. She was German. And then she was Russian. She was a modernizer. But also a tyrant. And she liked men a lot. And maybe horses? We'll see about that. Her name was? Catherine the Great of Russia. She was the last and longest ruling empress in Russian history. She ruled from 1762 to 1796. Can't wait to hear about that horse. So, Nellie, you are the one who did the research and who developed the show today. Which songs did you select for us? I selected some songs about independence, confidence, and Russia. We'll start with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Bonjour and welcome back to Your Grandma Rocks. Je m'appelle Philippe Girard. And I'm Natalie Strasener. Today we're exploring the life of Catherine the Great. So tell me, Natalie, what was Catherine's story? Start us from the beginning. Well, she's kind of a tomboy ruler. She claimed her childhood to be uneventful, but her memoirs do mention her being described as a tomboy. Okay, which part of Russia did she come from again? Well, not Russia. She was actually German from the Kingdom of Prussia, to be exact. Okay, so how did she become a Russian empress then if she was German by birth? That was because of her husband, Peter III. He was the heir to the throne of Russia, and she met him at age 10. 10? Well, that's young. Was it love at first sight, at least? 
Not at all. She found him pale and ugly. She also thought that he was not very mature. He still played with toy soldiers. Also, he was already an alcoholic despite his young age. Wow. I wonder if being a tomboy, that is what helped her rule, if that's an aspect of her life that people liked about her. I definitely think so. I think her confident approach to life gave her the wherewithal to lead. I know people in Russia liked her more than they liked her husband. Wait, wasn't she the foreigner? Shouldn't the people in Russia like him better than a German woman from abroad? Actually, he was German too. Wait, so how did he end up being the Russian czar then? I'm completely confused. Well, his mom was Russian. Um, in fact, his maternal grandpa was Peter the Great. Catherine and her husband ended up being appointed as heirs to the throne based on those family ties. I guess that is pretty common among royalty. The current dynasty in England, after all, they are also of German origin. But anyway, how was the marriage of Catherine to Peter III? Because you already mentioned earlier that she was unimpressed when they first met. Um, it was not a marriage of love. It was really a political move to unite Prussia and Russia. Their marriage was rumored to have never been consummated, and once Peter got a mistress, Catherine began to start her string of romances. Wait, if the marriage was not consummated, how would they have any children to take over the throne later on? She did have a child, Paul I, but it is rumored that he was from one of Catherine's lovers. There are two different versions in Catherine's memoirs, but the original edited version strongly hints that Paul's dad was her lover, Saltkov. Well, having a lover, that was a major deal for an empress, because bearing a child, a legitimate child, that was the number one mission of an empress, because there could be no doubt as to the identity of the father. Otherwise, the whole future of the dynasty was in doubt. So, that was it. That lover, Sartikov, he was her one true love. Just for a while, she had a string of lovers during and after her marriage to Peter. Many of them were military men, tall and handsome, often much younger than she was. Apparently, she had a type. She did. That played into her reputation as a nymphomaniac and also some of the weirder rumors about her sex life. But Catherine's business and personal life seemed to always intersect. Her lovers usually gained political affluence. She had good taste in men, apparently, because these men usually turned out to be adept military leaders, which kept her in power. She often remained on good terms with her lovers even after the affairs ended. Well, so she really had a lust for power. Or just lust, period. We'll get back to it and explain how she took over the throne. But first, speaking of lust, here's song number two. This is Animal by Def Leppard.
Welcome back. I'm Natalie, co-host of Your Grandma Rocks, your favorite women's show on KBYS. Et je suis Philippe Girard. Vous écoutez la radio de l'Université McNeese. Today we're exploring the life of Catherine the Great. Before our break, we mentioned how Catherine the Great grew up in Germany and then married into the royal family of Russia. And we also mentioned that her marriage was not the best, that she hated her husband, Peter, because she found him to be unattractive and dumb whereas she was one smart cookie. So she took on a few lovers along the way. You also hinted that Catherine the Great was more popular in Russia than her husband was, so tell us about that. Yes, he had a pro-Prussian policy, whereas Catherine was more of a Russian loyalist. She had goals to expand Russia as much as she could. She studied the Russian language day and night to feel fit for the crown, while Peter could not speak Russian very well. You can imagine what this did to his image, being ruler of the country in which he did not know the language. So when did her husband Peter become the Tsar of Russia then? 1762. That's when his mom Elizabeth, the previous Empress of Russia, died. Okay, and when did his reign end? 1762. No, no, I ask you when the reign ended. 1762, the same year. He only lasted six months in power. Uh-oh, sorry about that. Well, I guess Catherine was right. He was a bit of a failure. She sure thought so. She described him as an idiot and a drunkard, adding that there's nothing worse than having a child husband. Ouch, I would not want to hear that from my wife. But not all historians agree. Peter introduced a lot of democratic reforms during his short reign, She just badmouthed her ex in her memoirs. Well, today is not about him, but about her, Catherine the Great. So let's leave him aside. How did she come to power then? Because that husband of hers, he died young in 1762? Oh, no, there was nothing natural about his short reign. Peter was actually overthrown by his own loyal troops to Catherine, which is what sparked the rumors about her planning a coup. Wait, she was involved in overthrowing her husband? How early was the plotting about all of that? The earliest documentation of it goes back to around 1749, 13 years before Catherine takes the throne. Well, she seems to have been set on power for a long time. Yeah, that and the hatred for her husband probably did the trick. 
Once Peter's mother Elizabeth died in January of 1762, they both ascended to the throne. But as I mentioned, Peter only ruled for six months. Okay, so tell us, what happened exactly? Peter continued to gain hate for his support of Prussia. Uh, Prussia was Russia's enemy in the Seven Years' War, which wouldn't end for another year. Peter also planned to attack Denmark, which was Russia's old ally against Sweden. Okay, so I see. He was seen as a German transplant or even a traitor, whereas she played the role of the good Russian nationalist. So what about that coup in 1762 itself? How did that unfold? Tell us about it. Catherine and her husband were living on two different properties at the time. Catherine learned one day that Peter had called for the arrest of one of her co-conspirators. She realized their plan would have to be acted on immediately. So the next day, she gave a speech to her soldiers asking them to protect her from Peter. And she was able to have Peter arrested and forced him to abdicate the throne. Peter was assassinated shortly after. Wait, did she have anything to do with it? Officially, it was just a stroke, but people thought the real killer was Orlov, a member of the coup. Either way, Catherine finally got what she wanted. Okay, so now she is the empress. Tell us, what did she do while she was in power then? We'll get to this, but let's listen to a song first. For now, we can have a song relating to her refusal to obey tradition. Here's Alice Cooper with I'm 18.
Bonjour à tous and welcome back to Your Grammar Rocks on KBYS. Je suis Philippe Girin. And I'm Natalie Strasener. Today we're covering the life of the Russian Empress Catherine the Great. Before our break, we saw how she took over as Empress of Russia in 1762 simply by overthrowing her husband Peter, who then died in mysterious circumstances. So let us walk through her reign now. There's a theory among some political scientists that men are from Mars and women are from Venus, so female rulers tend to be more gentle and start fewer wars than male rulers do. Does that apply to Catherine the Great? What was her foreign policy like? Did she get along well with other rulers or did she start a bunch of wars? She and her ministers of foreign affairs did pretty well. She was able to make treaties with Prussia, Poland, and Sweden. So she was from Venus then? Oh, she also fought wars. She broke up Poland and took over some of their lands. She also continued colonization efforts in the Far East. That's how Alaska became Russian. She also brought Russian victory over the Ottoman Empire. She took over Crimea as a result. Well, that last part does not sound very good. We're taping this in November 2022, and let's just say that the words Russia, invasion, and Crimea are not words that you want to hear together. Interestingly, one of her lovers, Potemkin, was involved in developing Crimea after the takeover. Supposedly, while Catherine was touring the region, Potemkin built some fake villages to show her how much progress the region had made like putting lipstick on a pig. This is where we get the expression of Potemkin village, something that's fake. Well, speaking of Potemkin, just a week ago I was reading in the paper that as part of their invasion of Ukraine, Russians have been looting a lot of cultural artifacts wherever they're retreating, including, bizarrely enough, the body of Potemkin, that lover of Catherine the Great. Uh, normally he was buried in a crypt in a city of Kherson. Uh, but the Russians are now in the process of evacuating this town, and so they took the remains of Potemkin, which is basically a bag of bones, and because they see him as a hero of a previous invasion of Ukraine, and they want him back in Moscow. Anyway, you mentioned the goal of Catherine, that it was to westernize Russia, and how she read French philosophers and such, so maybe could you talk to us a bit about that? Sure. In large part, she was looking up to certain nations, such as Britain and France. You can definitely see her strive to westernize Russia with her lawmaking. She cared about public health, so she had her government publish health statistics, and she even brought vaccines to Russia, which was a controversial approach at the time. Oh, even today, we still have plenty of people who have a hard time believing in science. But anyway, was she able to successfully implement all these laws you mentioned? One thing she did have a problem implementing was the equality of serfs. She was pretty much unable to eradicate the system of serfdom because the Russian economy depended so heavily on it. Now might be the time when you explain what serfdom was uh, for the benefit of our listeners. Serfdom was around before Catherine gained power. It was a system in which you could sign away your rights to have access to a landowner's piece of property and work it in exchange for protection and reliance. Well, we had this system in France, too, during the feudal era in the Middle Ages, but that was almost entirely gone by the 18th century. So what were the problems that Catherine the Great would see with that system of serfdom and feudalism? Well, she wanted to bring some equality into the system. She saw noblemen not fulfilling their sides of the deal, so she created a law that serfs could file complaints against their landowner if they were not holding up their end of the deal. This way, she hoped the peasantry would have no reason to riot and replace her. Well, that's smart. I guess a little give and take is expected if you want to stay in power. This wasn't exactly taken well by serfs, though. By creating a law like she did, the serfs could no longer take their request straight to her. They had to go through the lower nobles. 
Obviously, the serfs felt the disconnect she was implementing between them and her, and they eventually started rioting, but their rebellion failed and pushed Catherine away from her policy of liberating serfs. Also, she was known for giving thousands of serfs as gifts to her lovers, so she was only liberal to a certain degree. So much for being an enlightened ruler, then. Oh, she was fairly enlightened still, but we'll talk about that part of her career after our next song. She wasn't a very religious person, so we'll listen to Losing My Religion by R.E.M. Listening to your grandma rocks on KBYS. I'm Natalie. Et je suis Philippe Girard. Today we are retracing the life of Catherine the Great, an empress of Russia in the late 18th century. So tell us, Natalie, what made her such a distinct leader that we're still talking about her 200 years later? She led Russia into full political participation in Europe. She westernized Russia. She pushed for the expansion of the arts. Russia went through a renaissance during her time. She really improved the laws of Russia with her instruction. Instruction? What is that? 
Yeah, so an instruction was a document meant to be a guide for political leadership. Catherine's instruction pretty much outlined the major points of Western law. All men were to be considered equal before the law. The law was meant to protect, not harm the people, therefore only suppress harmful acts. She aimed to outlaw capital torture and punishment. Well, I specialize in the era of the French and the Haitian revolutions, and all those concepts sound very familiar to me. Yes, she did get her inspiration from the European Enlightenment. Obviously, with a bland marriage, she had a lot of time on her hands. So she liked reading books, especially Voltaire and French philosophy. Voltaire? She has good taste. But wait, do you mean that she spoke and read French too? Because she's supposed to have spoken German as well and Russian? She's kind of a smart woman. Yeah, Voltaire really liked her and was very nice in his writings of her. That's cool, having Voltaire, the famous French philosopher, as your pen pal. Anyway, what else did she do? She helped keep the French encyclopedia alive by telling Diderot he could publish it in Russia while the French outlawed his publication. Okay, well, I know about that project, the Encyclopédie or Encyclopédia. That was a big 18th century project to gather up all the knowledge of mankind in one single book. And I know that some entries criticize issues like slavery or the church, so it was often censored by French authorities. So she did not seem to be too concerned with religious matters, huh? Not that I can tell. She had more love for culture than for religion. She also liked art in the forms of painting and sculpture. Most of her personal collection was turned into the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. The Hermitage, that's a classic museum. I did not know that she was involved in this creation. Yeah, she ordered the building of the Hermitage to store many of her pieces of art and books, and she also had an interest in Chinese culture. So did she have Chinese art in her collection? Yeah, like many other nobles at the time, she collected Chinese art. She also collected European imitations of Chinese porcelain. Oh yes, I know about that. The Chinoiserie style of porcelain, it was called. Wow, that's cool. She brought forth this influx of education, too, with her previously mentioned vaccine idea, bringing in lead intellectuals in the fields of science and art, stuff like that. She corresponded with famous writers like Voltaire, that's part of the reason she's so famous. She lived on in their writings in a way. Uh, so you said that she was not very religious. Tell us about that, because that was also very common among other Enlightenment figures, like Voltaire. Yes, she wasn't raised Christian Orthodox. She just converted so that she could become Empress of Russia. You can also see her disregard for the church and the way that she nationalized all the church lands to pay for the wars she fought. She had most of the nobility concerned with other matters in such a degree that the clergymen of the church were having to survive as farmers instead of payment from the church. One thing she did in line with the church was protect Christians in the Ottoman Empire, but that was more out of ill relations with the Ottomans than love for the church. Well, she reminds me a lot of late 18th century rulers like Jefferson and others because many of them were also deists or agnostics. But you still haven't gotten to the wild conspiracy series about her. Let's end with the fun stuff. There are definitely a number of stories surrounding her life that haven't been proven true. I guess you can see all the drama of the high court of the time. It's like we're watching Netflix or something. They have actually made some movies about her life. Uh, so you said the wild stories about her were often invented by her enemies. So what made her such a controversial figure in the court? Was it her disregard for the church? Yes. Also, she had enemies in other countries. Remember that she fought the Ottomans in the Poles. Also, she had an active sex life, which was not well received. She was presented as a nymphomaniac because she didn't fit the sexual norms of her time. 
And she was a powerful woman, which always attracts hate. A lot of the stuff she did, like having lovers and fighting wars, would have been considered great for a man, but seemed weird coming from a woman. I have seen that when we covered other female politicians in the show. But so, what is the weirder story that was circulated about her? Definitely the one about her having sex with a horse. Supposedly, that's how she died. Just to be clear, that's just gossip. She actually died of a stroke. The joke back then was that Russians practiced bestiality. Since she had an active sex life and liked riding horses, people just took all of these ideas and ran with it. And voila, sex with a horse. Glad to hear that, because I have a hard time picturing the mechanics of that. But let's not end on that weird note. We can't let the haters have the last word. So tell us instead how we should remember Catherine the Great, Natalie. In most part because of the fact she ruled for so long as a woman. Her reign was 34 years. She had great success in most of whatever she set her mind to. Of course, the many stories surrounding her personal life have cemented her place in history as an interesting figure. Overall, though, she is far more than a rumor about sex with a horse. Gaining access to the throne really let her personality shine. Wow. Well, that was quite the life, and I'm glad that you could share it with us. Thanks. We need to note that this program was funded by a Juliet Hartner grant for women in the humanities. And by the History Department at McNeese. Thank you to our donors. Thank you and goodbye. Merci. Au revoir.